Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. share a name <laughs> joe <laughs> is that the formal version of what you would call no that's a kangaroo oh my god oh <laughs> <laughs> you know I... kangaroos and goats <laughs> I... kangaroos I... and goats you know, they're, they're so they're so easy to mix up why did i think that a, a baby goat was called a joey and not a kid Oh my god! Okay, <laughs> you gotta be. Oh, nice. Me. You were talking about birds. Um, no, we're talking about goats. But <gasps> um, yeah. Uh, you know, we're just hanging out here at the uh, UCM's petting zoo, uh, which also doubles as our uh, war memorial. You know, it's mm. one of those things where rather than pay someone to mow the lawn around the headstones you can just have goats kind of keep the grass down it's pretty convenient yeah yeah cost effective it's sustainable yeah mm-hmm. very very i'm actually reading a book right now about goat husbandry and philosophy oh, very specific yeah it's called goat song huh yeah yeah pretty uh pretty entertaining book so far all i've learned is goats are very horny okay that's uh that's a yes. fact. That's something. Yeah. Um but yeah, you were talking about birds? Yeah, um I'm I'm uh I'm interested in the in the kind of birds that we have going on here and in sort of our multi multi species petting zoo? Multi-purpose. Yeah, the well, you know, the the living yeah. memorial is such an interesting kind of Well, you know, we're we here at the UCM, we're just a small roadside zoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry roadside museum and you know we have to make do with the space that we have sure sure you know we we can kind of just pile all of our birds and goats and uh and veterans memorials into one convenient stop for our visitors yeah it's very homogenous you know everybody kind of gets along and things are doing you know it's it's a it's a community of sorts and that's what we like here at the museum yeah how do you feel about bird petting zoos? Petting zoos that, you know, mm-hmm. like, either if it's one of those things where they give you that little cup of nectar and all of the parrots flock all over you, yeah. or, like, what, what 
What, what what are your thoughts on petting zoos? Uh, I don't know if you can tell now, but I'm a little nervous. Uh, <laughs> guiding mm. our tour here. Oh, jeez. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of petting zoos. Particularly, mm -hmm. I don't want yeah. things crawling on me, if that makes sense. I yeah. love animals. I truly do. And, you know, I love birds in a I don't know I have a strange relationship with birds I think they're really cool but I wouldn't necessarily want like a falcon on my shoulder you know what I mean um but yeah. I I'm not this uh, my sister is the one who's very close with animals and is kind of like that snow white you know uh meant ability mm -hmm. of being able mm -hmm. to like go out in nature and just befriend any animal I'm very much like I see you I get it and we're chilling and I respect you um but I'm gonna do me yeah. over here, and so that's kind of how. <laughs> like that's why I think I get along with cats so well, is because it's like you know a cat. Yeah. Ca depending on the cat, of course, I'm like, okay, I get you. You're doing your thing. I'm doing my thing. This is chill. You can come hang out with me, and I would appreciate it. But like, you know, we can also just be kind of separate yeah. entities existing in the same space. How about you? How do you feel about these petting zoos? I'm also pretty similar with animals. I respect animals that respect my personal mm -hmm. space i think as someone in my age group my most controversial <laughs> opinions are that i did not like bohemian rhapsody at all and i don't like i don't like dogs that okay. much and i know that's i know that's losing some mm. points but you know what i didn't come here to be liked. <laughs> you know i came fair <laughs> enough i guess i mean you, you've seen my dog he's rather large siberian husky who's mm -hmm. incredibly energetic but like i i've warmed up to dogs i will say that but i'm in a similar yeah. position yeah i mean i like i like cats kind of for mm -hmm. the you know just kind of like you squint at each other from across the room. You acknowledge that the other person is in the room with you and you just kind of go about your business yes. and, you know, you get a little affectionate if you want, which is really the key to my heart. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I have to say as someone who grew up in Florida, I have, I like to think I've had an interesting experience with petting zoos. Okay. In see in Florida, there it seems to be this challenge of what type of animal you can have, and it's something that even prior to Tiger King, I was vaguely right, aware of yeah. Because, like one time, we had been staying on the Atlantic coast of Florida for a vacation, okay, and then we were driving back through the middle of Florida, uh, by Lake Okeechobee, mm. going back towards Tampa Bay. And we stopped at a place called Lion Country Safari. Have you ever heard of it? I feel like I have. That sounds very familiar. It was actually it was actually mentioned in Tiger. Yeah, but it is a drive-through zoo. Huh. So you can kind of drive through the animals' exhibits. So you are all that is separating you from a zebra or a rhinoceros is your car window. Oh, know? okay. Interesting. Or like an ostrich or something. Yeah. Um, 
Which is, and then my, I remember during it, my brother really had to go to the bathroom. Oh no. So, you know, it's like, we're like, well, where, where can we go? So we stop in the middle of the exhibit. There's a rhinoceros staring us down and my brother just has to go to the bathroom. Like, so he just pees on the side, out the side of the car, just like, like, not like out the side of the car. Like we opened a door for him, but still there's just that. Thing of like you're staring at this rhino right. that's staring back at you and you just have florida petting zoos just have this feeling of i don't feel like i'm doing something 100 percent legal right now <laughs> but i know i know that no one's going to come after me yeah and i think that's the general aura like my very one of my very good friends once brought me to a zoo museum slash fruit stand on the side of the highway once kind of going inland in florida you know there was a lot of like you could buy like like part of it was like an old-timey like convenience store you could buy old-timey candy okay you could get fresh oranges because you know you're like out in the middle of the orange right like yeah yeah lots of you know cheap good fresh fruit and but then in the back you pay them like $5 and they give you a sack of bread. Huh. And then you walk out through the back and you can feed all of their animals. They, I, I can't express this enough, how weird this is. They do not tell <laughs> you which animals to give the bread to. Oh. They just give you a bag of bread and say, good luck. What? And then you're out back with no supervision at all. Just like, because like some of the animals are pretty mundane. Like you walk out there and there's like, oh, there's a bunch of guinea pigs. Okay. Okay. And then you walk, because like it starts with like animals that are like, okay, that's kind of an exotic animal that, you know, it's like, I feel like I'm looking it has three tiers. It starts with animals that are kind of exotic, but all, but are pretty much just pets. Yeah. And someone has put the pets in a quasi-zoo exhibit. And then you go to the next tier. The next tier is wild animals that they just caught, like raccoons and opossums, you know? Okay. Huh. And then, and so you're like, this is really weird. You know, you're seeing like an African spurred tortoise, which is a common enough pet that I'm sure it's like, okay, whatever. Sure. Guinea pigs, the raccoons. And then you keep going and you're like, oh, there's a camel. Oh, there are, there's a zebra. Oh, there's, there are rias, which are uh, South, basically, kind of south american ostriches okay uh there's an emu uh, what there's coatis there's like all of these animals that are suddenly much more exotic and you're just like am i supposed to feed them the bread uh like like th- you're you're walking by there's like a there's like a an in-ground pool that's been retrofitted into an alligator exhibit. Okay. There's like there was like there was one area that you walked into. It was 
it clearly used to be someone's porch or patio area. Oh, wow. And it was just full of bird cages. What? Yeah, oh. and just birds everywhere. I, I don't know if you could tell by my face, but the look of disgust I have right now is just, oh, my <laughs> God. I am... I'm so happy. Who gets this No bread? one. Don't feed your animals bread. It's bad for them. <laughs> I'm glad we don't do that here. Because, uh, geez, man. At, yes, our, at our petting zoo, yes. that's not the case at all. We take care of the any creature here at the UCM. Absolutely. Yeah. But just, just for me, like, that's always in the back of my mind sure. with a lot of what what separates you know places that have a little bit more integrity when it comes to you know presenting animals to people that drive off the side of the highway yeah that's yeah. um wow that sounds like the worst place i have to say that sounds insane like for me yeah. i'm already like as i'm picturing this i'm just like oh my god like mm-hmm. i cannot imagine going to some sort of weird convenience store going through the back and it's just a strange joe exotic esque um petting zoo of joe oh, exotic on a budget I guess yeah but still like it can't be cheap to have a cake. no that's a lot to feel oh my god well i yeah. i'll never understand how people obtain these animals and why i just never will yeah, I, I mean, because when I was younger, I belonged to a herpetology society. Oh, okay. I was the youngest person there. I was in middle school. Um, you know, and it was just you know a thing for uh, reptile enthusiasts oh. or whatever. But all of these people, you know, they all knew somebody, but they weren't like the people that collected big cats. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But there were people there that are like, I collect. Uh, well, there, there's something called a hot herp. Oh, those are pe- hot herpers, people that collect venomous reptiles. Oh, okay. So you know, you've got like the people that are like, I collect uh, king cobras and rattlesnakes. Huh. All right. I guess that yeah. makes sense somehow. Somehow. <laughs> 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 but yeah, that's. Uh, that's that's just kind of where I'm coming from. And, you know, uh, that just just I I I, I want the best yeah. for these animals. Absolutely. I'm not an anti zoo person. I yeah. know too many good zoos and aquariums for sure uh, that do lots of good work. But I am skeptical. Of yes. Lots of animal attraction i always go in with kind of a um a questioning eye if you will to kind of see like i used to be somebody who was anti-zoo frankly Mm -hmm. because i just didn't understand the 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 workings of it and i you know as someone who's been to circuses when they were younger and these sort of weird petting zoos and other Mm -hmm. things i was never really thrilled with how animals were treated um and of course in certain cases with zoos it's not necessarily an attraction first it's a conservation site and in a way to kind of preserve and research and whatnot and and take care of animals i think there's some that don't do that personally i just think that that is a case in certain places um especially these like you know that's that's the difference for me is like a roadside attraction Mm -hmm. is not taking care of animals for the sake of conservation it's doing it for entertainment yeah. and putting anything on display for entertainment and treating animals as such to me is, is a big no, no. Um, 
But yeah, yeah. I think you know, it's a uh, I don't know, it kind of goes into some crazy and uh strange stories to say the least on some of these zoos. I mean, if you haven't watched Tiger King, anybody here do it, I guess. I guess. I don't know. Sometimes I hesitate to recommend it because it got blown out of proportion. Again, I've, I talk about this way too much on our tours here, but like I did write about it. <laughs> and, and if you research these things enough, you just get mad to the certain extent of how the fallout yeah. happened on that. But like, let me ask you this, Zen. Do we have any? Do we have any crows here or any ravens in this petting zoo? Because I haven't, I haven't really checked in in a while. You're more of the bird you know. Person. I like to think that the world is the crows petting zoo because i feel like i feel like we are we are the playthings of of uh i 100 percent agree on that one i have lived in montana where there are magpies aplenty oh mm. they're and they're very smart very beautiful um but yes they uh (laughs) you know you (laughs) um they are uh there, there, there's a there. There is something about their just, just want to try to mess with you. You know, they are mildly entertained by you, but they're also trying to get something. <laughs> yeah, from you. exactly. They're trying to mug you to a yes. certain extent. Did yes. I ever tell you my dad's like weird fascination with trying to befriend crows? No, I mean, did your dad have a goth face? No. Not at all, actually. He's just very interested in this. I and really the fact that like crows in particular like shiny objects, and also are mm-hmm. one incredibly smart. Two, you know, yeah. will hold a grudge. And three, travel in their packs. That's definitely not what you call a group of birds. It's a murder, right? <laughs> it's a murder of crows. <laughs> I'm not doing good. This is this yes, is yes. It is a, right a murder of a, oh my god, a murder of crows. This is, yeah, you know my uh, the goat named Joey and um, a pack of crows, like they're a beer of sorts. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, yeah, no, he, he would always tell me because he's like, oh, we should like, you know, because we have a lot of crows in 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 the neighborhood when I go to visit and stuff, and like they he would always tell me, he's like, we should give shiny things to them. And so that way they can like, we can befriend them and have this kind of like communication going. Cause my dad really likes birds and in general, like has them out in the garden all the time and in the yard and doing things. And, you know, I'm always just kind of like, all right, cool. Like whatever. And birds are cool. Um, I was always very hesitant about this, about befriending crows, because mm-hmm. if you mess with a crow yeah. or you like, I don't know. They remember well, they'll you. remember you, but I also hesitate to think that they're going to mess with me. You know, because I'm not I'm not a sneaky person necessarily. I'm pretty like innocent to a certain extent on these type of things. I mean, I'm gonna try to trade with a crow and give them silver or something, and then they're gonna end up giving me like grass in return. Or they're just gonna leave and take the shiny thing. But apparently they do they do you, bring them you back. You see you see it as a bad investment. This is this is <laughs> Well see, I'm I, I like to think of myself as a practical person and maybe like I'm hesitant, yes. but 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 if you don't take risk, there's no reward. So I'm becoming more and more fascinating with this idea that my dad is in, implanted in my head like it was out of Christopher Nolan's Inception, where I mm. now want to try to reach out to the crows that circle around my house and see, hey, you guys want to hang out? Want to be friends? And maybe I can bribe them, and then we can, we can kind of group together. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, well, you know, the the leader of the Crows is called Adam Durk. <laughs> That's a counting Crows joke for everyone in the audience. Oh, man. That's a good one. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I have met some... I've met some birds that I want to know. Okay. Yeah. You know, but but the thing is, you can't really know a bird. Yeah. When I was in Australia, I did have the pleasure of meeting some emus. Oh. And I I did meet a cassowary, although it was at a zoo. Mm. Uh, but you know, we got very close to each other. We looked into each other's eyes. Yeah. Uh, the eyes the eyes looked back. The darkness looked back. Oh. Um, that is, you know, that, that, that is a bird that just, you can tell is always thinking about murder. (laughs) But I mean, emus especially are just extremely, extremely, uh, just, just, it is a dinosaur. Like you walk up to it, you look at its, its long scaly legs. Um, and it, it is a dinosaur. Right, right. Really and truly. I mean, this this enormous enormous bird um and actually uh that kind of brings me to uh the thing that i would like to talk about today Mm. which um if we come over here okay uh this is uh our memorial to the great emu war Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah um what what do you know about the emu war well, I remember hearing about it a while back, um, and mostly due to the fact that there's like two notable wars that uh, humanity has lost to birds, um, and we can get we into support the- our veterans. Yeah, yeah, we can Those brave, brave souls that went up against the birds. Oh yes, we can, we can break that down later. But I, I vaguely <laughs> remember Australia losing in some sort of way or another to emus, and I, I'm curious to find out yeah. why that is. Well, um, the story of the Emu War begins in 1932. Oh. Um, like all great stories. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> in Australia. Um, but... <laughs> uh, basically, what, we, what you need to know is, um... So it's the Great Depression, right? Okay. It's post-1929, the yeah. market has crashed. Australia is, you know, not in the best shape uh, as as far as, like, you know, a global powerhouse just yet. You know, they're right. only kind of really um, feeling out uh, their abilities as a new-ish country as they you know, separate more and more as a commonwealth from England. Uh-huh. Um, and um, basically, the Australian government had been subsidizing wheat in Western Australia Okay. Um, to, you know, try to pump some money into the economy and to basically produce a ton of product to sell. Right, right. They wanted Australian farmers to produce in, mm-hmm. in a, uh, a, a huge amount. So they subsidized wheat, um, and a bunch of new farmland was uh, basically developed. Like, they, uh, you know, a lot of farmers went out, cleared some bush and trees and stuff, 
and start using it for uh, wheat and cattle. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. So what happens is the emus are, when this is going on, when they decide to do this, this is earlier in the year in 1932. Oh, wow. And as the year goes on, they are realizing something, that there is now all of this land that just a you know a few months prior was wilderness now is farmland and it is in the way of the uh the annual migration of the emu a very large i think the second largest bird on earth a very large flightless bird uh native to australia if you've never had the pleasure Mm. of meeting one um there are 20,000 of them. Whoa. And they are going, they quickly discover that they like the new open farmland and uh, they start tromping through it, destroying crops and eating things, you know? Sure, yeah. And it's quickly realized, oh my God, these emus pose an enormous agricultural and financial threat to the well-being of Australia and there's no stopping them. There are, as I said before, 20,000 giant flightless birds uh, that are going to descend on these farmers. And there's already problems. The uh, government has kind of fallen short of the subsidies promised Mm -hmm. to the farmers. And the farmers have been threatening to not... uh, to basically not deliver the wheat because the price of wheat was falling so much. Wow. So in an effort of goodwill, when the farmers reach out to the Australian government Uh and say, we need help, the Australian government says, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to help you out so that you deliver the wheat. Right. So the Australian Minister of Defense, George Pierce, tasks uh these farmers with exterminating 20,000 emu. Huh. Yes. Okay. So, a lot of these farmers are you know, like a lot of uh men in kind of this age group are World War 1 vets. Hmm, right, right. And a lot of the soldiers that are sent out to do this are World War I vets. They all know how to operate machine guns, and they also kind of know firsthand how devastating machine gun fire is. Right. This was kind of considered like, this is an easy win, right, for the Australian government. Sure, yeah. And for the Australian military. This is basically going to be target practice for them. Yeah. So they send them with... Two uh, Lewis guns and 10,000 rounds of ammo. Jesus. Yes. This, this is, you know, their chance to uh, build, rebuild their trust with the Western Australian farmers in this newly developed farmland. Immediately, they're set back by heavy rain. So, oh. you know, it's, it's, it's hard enough fighting in the mud. So now, now they're ready. They're like, okay, we're going to take it to these birds. Yeah. And it immediately becomes apparent that it is more difficult than they thought it was going to be. Oh, no. Um, Basically, they try to herd the birds towards the machine gun fire because they realize quickly, oh, machine guns don't have great range. No, and scattered. Emus can, yes, emus run 
very fast and, you know, get try to get away from you when they see you coming. They try to herd the birds towards the machine gun fire, but the emus don't stay together in a herd the way, like, other herd animals do. They split up into smaller groups. Hmm. And this is... It, it it just immediately is frustrating. They are spending so much ammunition <gasps> oh and not God. hitting any of these birds. Um, in one of their first encounters, they uh, shoot 2,500 rounds and they kill 50 birds. Wow. That's yeah. Jesus. I mean... Out of the, yeah, oh, this wow. is this is not efficient. No, not at all. But you know what? That's one for the birds, and I'm on their side on this one. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this kind of continues. Now it's really difficult to say how many birds mm-hmm. they did shoot. Um, some estimates are uh, that this is all going on around November to December of 1932. Okay. Some estimates say about 1,000 to 2,500 uh, emus are killed. Hmm. Um, other estimates say about 100 emus per week. Wow, okay. Yeah, this is... They're spending so much ammunition and cannot seem to take down these birds. No. The birds just sort of wreak havoc and trample over the crops. Um, and that year, the uh, the UK hears about this Hmm. by December of 1932. And this is a national embarrassment for Australia that they are losing this (laughs) war to the emu. Um, There is Major General uh, GPW Meredith of the Royal Australian Artillery is tasked with, um, uh, you know, taking on the emus. He he, uh, compares them to the Zulus. In terms of warfare, one Australian ornithologist, Dominic Cerventi, says, The machine gunner's dream of point-blank fire into serried masses of emus was soon dissipated. The emu command held evidently ordered guerrilla tactics, and its unwieldy army soon split up into innumerable small units that made use of the military equipment uneconomic. A crisp and field force, therefore... <laughs> I'm going Boston. <laughs> <laughs> a crisp and field force, therefore withdrew... I'm just going to finish this JFK. Therefore withdrew from the combat area after about a month. <laughs> okay, I got, I got back there you towards the You were so close. There we go. Yeah, Australian accents are very close to Boston accents. <laughs> they kind of are, to be honest. <laughs> but yes, guerrilla warfare... <laughs> Guerrilla tactics employed <laughs> by the emus. <laughs> this is insane. Yes. Oh my god. This is a lot worse than I thought it was. Or no, yeah. not I hesitate to say worse. It's it's kind of hilarious, I have to say. I mean like mm-hmm. I don't even oh gosh, hold on. I want to save it. I got to save it. Continue. Basically, this is yes, this is a national embarrassment for Australia. Um so much so that uh, some some of the wheat does survive. I should say, like, you know, this did not totally crash Australia's economy, but okay. they did not kill as many emus as they thought they would. 
and this was sort of considered a disaster from start to finish. They, they asked the government again for help in 1934, 1943, and 1948. Wow. And every time after this, the Australian government declined helping. Jeez. Yes. Now, now did this affect their, like, like, food sources and other things? Like, were people starving because of this? Or was it almost like it was annoying and frustrating, but, you know, besides those farmers, people were kind of okay? This, I think, um, I think this was truly in the realm of this whole subsidizing thing. Okay. I don't think people were starving, um, as far as I know. Um, okay. This was kind of a purely economic project. Gotcha. With these farm subsidies. Wow. So I guess, I don't know what the equivalent necessarily would be because I, I, you know, this is this is a while back when sure, yeah. Australia is pretty wild and crazy. I'd imagine maybe an equivalent thing would be like if all of the moose decided to in <laughs> in the American West and bison decided to trample all of our corn crops. Yeah, you know, which <laughs> so wild. Which for for, the, for those of you not in the United States, corn is a heavily subsidized yeah. crop that yeah. really we don't we grow more of it than we could ever possibly eat, but it's just to pay the farmers. Yeah, true. So um, there is a huge conservationist outcry against this action um, it, from the UK and from ornithologists and conservationists within Australia. This not only is an embarrassment to the Australian military, people are pretty quick to say Australia is just trying to cull its uh, rare and uh, naturally occurring uh you know, mm-hmm. wonders of nature. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so pretty immediately there is a, a conservationist protest. Oh, wow. Uh, in, in, as, as far as the, as far as, f- from the academic standpoint. Okay. I don't think you had, like, civilian environmental activism quite yet in the 30s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the way that you would in a few decades. Um, But, but this is, this does not go unnoticed by you know, the the academics and the people who recognize that Australia is a wonder of the world in terms of biodiversity. Right, right. Yeah. So what 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 continues from there after is while the government will not fund another um <laughs> another attempt to uh fight the emos, they do start sort of a bounty system. Okay. And from this a lot more birds are killed. Uh, you know, this is still, you know, called out as a massive destruction of birds. Um, and the, uh, really the, the, the way that this is solved, quote unquote Mm. solved is with fencing that um, is used quite a bit in Australia to, uh, sort of keep dingoes, rabbits, and in this case, emus sort of contained away from places that they do not want those animals right right but yes that is the uh great emu war in a nutshell uh there is a 2020 video game uh called emu war seriously uh, that i 
yeah, that I guess uh, is out there if um, you really want to live this experience. Huh. It is kind of crazy to think about, like, all of these, like, like, there are vets that, like, probably, like, remembered Gallipoli. Yeah, you know? that's what I was thinking. And exactly. Then, and then imagine going out and, <laughs> you know, getting your ass kicked by a bunch of flightless birds. I, I hesitate to say that this all could have been solved with the fence. Right? That's what I'm getting at the end of the story. Like, moral of the story, build a fence, don't encroach <laughs> in territory that's not yours. Huh. Yeah. yeah I, this, uh, when, you were, yeah. when you were talking about a, an emu war, you know, I was thinking it was going to allude to something else. Not a literal war with guns and weaponry like this was World War One. Because that's the thing. I mean, these people, if they were veterans, were for sure probably at Gallipoli, which is, you know, a pretty brutal battle yeah. of World War One. And then you lose to birds because you use the wrong type of gun. Yeah. I I think the New Zealand Air Force had the right idea as far as like playing with the expectations. Like Yeah. The New Zealand Air Force's logo is a Kiwi. <laughs> I love that. It's so like a, a, fa- a famously flightless bird. Yeah. A, a bird that barely has uh the appendages that were once wings yeah clearly the birds uh even though i feel like humanity has a pretty rough track record with birds like we have caused the extinctions of lots of birds i feel like there's just some really like i think that's what feels like why this is i feel like a feel-good story at the end of the day yeah because this is like the most fern gully shit to have ever happened <laughs> exactly. on Earth. Literally. Where, where a, a continent that is, you know, maybe is famous for its fearsome wildlife, but I would say more now, Australia is very fa- uh, famous also for, you know, environmental interference from yeah. the European, at the hands of the European colonizers. But this is like, it's that bit of schadenfreude of mm. this is, this is nature not bending yeah. to, to, to being controlled. Right, exactly. This, this is, this is, you know, Ian Malcolm, life will find a way. This is, this is the type of story that is weirdly cathartic to hear. I mean, yeah, it's, it's. Oh, gosh. I mean, it really does kind of explore, too, this idea that humans aren't the focus of everything and we are not necessarily always the most powerful, contrary to what we might want to believe, right? Like, the Mm -hmm. idea that they lost to a group of of flightless birds is both hysterical, but also kind of, I think, important to sit with and think Mm -hmm. about. And, like, it really gets into this idea of trying to go, you know, where humans like to go and, and just as in trying to take whatever they want, whatever we want, I guess, right? And claim it as our own. And that's not how things work. That, you know, if you go and mess with an with an ecosystem, it's going to fight back or it's going to change things that can devastate everybody or even just them, you know? Mm-hmm. And in this, it just sounds like that. You know, you're building farmland in a migration spot. That sucks, man. Shouldn't have done it. Because they're not going to change. Why should they, yeah. you know, why should the emus change? It doesn't make sense. And then why should they die for it? So... 
it's it is yeah. interesting to kind of point it out that way though where it is a feel good story because I'm over here like rooting for these birds it's exciting it's you know I'm like yeah, yeah. all right like stick it to them this is hilarious because it kind of is but in that same sense of like because it's absurd because we never really think of that <laughs> as something that could happen because you know I think I think we assume that just because you know you have a gun or you have something that's technologically advanced to pretty much anything else it automatically assumes victory mm-hmm. but i don't know i think that's just human arrogance as it goes mm-hmm. i mean to me this reminds me of that the other bird war or really like war on birds if you will in china mm-hmm. that happened <laughs> um because anytime i ever heard the emu war brought up and again I, it's been a while I always heard it in comparison to this with kind of the joke of like humanity losing to two wars to birds. And I was like, <laughs> what, in what way? Cause it was like, it's always that doofenshmirtz meme from uh, Phineas and Ferb yeah. where it's like, it's weird that it happened twice. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's already strange once it's okay, but twice. Bird wars, bird wars. <laughs> Hi there. My name is Colby White and I'm one of the hosts from Force Football Facts a podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game, even though he doesn't know anything about it. We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. Oh my gosh, that's our next, that's going to be the next um, series that I feel like it's produced in Netflix in like 2035 or something. Um, <laughs> but it's like super gritty. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, no, what was that show? Um, oh, and the, it, okay. I this There's no way this was a fever dream where it was an animated movie where they were like pigeons who were World War One or Two soldiers and they were like fighting, but they had to like carry messages, but they were also in uniform. Valiant? Yes. Valiant. <laughs> it's going to be like that. God, I, I thought I made that up. I really <laughs> thought I made this movie up. But uh, speaking of warbirds, um, I mean, have you heard? Warbirds? Ha- yeah. Well, it's like war pigs, but you know they fly. What do, what do the what do the Klingons have to do with this? Is that a thing from Star Trek? Yeah, the 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 ships uh, the Klingons fly are called warbirds. Serious? God, did you out nerd me on this? Oh wow, that's a, I think so. I'm, I'm not even really that much of a trek. Oh, I'm embarrassed now. Well, I guess wow. I'll sit with that for a while. But <laughs> 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 but uh, but no. Um, have you heard of the? What happened with the sparrows in China? Did you ever hear of that situation? Has anybody? Um, not really. I think for me, this is one of those stories that you hear as kind of an anecdote for, like, when mm-hmm. we want to, t- if we want to be generous. Yeah. When we talk about China's Communist Party, not necessarily communism as a whole. Right. We talk about it as something that seemed like a very, that, that felt like a reaction to something very immediate. They said, yeah. well, we have this big centralized government that basically does whatever we say. So let's use that to uh, enact widespread change. Yeah. And then nobody really 
thinks out the consequences fully. Mm. I mean, that has always been my impression of like Chinese social programs that probably had good intentions, but backfired like, you know, mm. one child policy, yeah. um, uh, various other environmental uh, decrees and, Right. It, it, it's co- it's complicated. History is complicated. Hi, hi, yeah. Hi, history yeah, is and complicated. I, <laughs> no, I mean yes. it's it, it's it's funny you mentioned that too because that's quite literally what this is. Something that starts I think with good intention, although I hesitate to say that uh for reasons, mm-hmm. but it backfired very quickly. Okay, but this is something I don't know as much about. So I'm curious to hear. Yeah, yeah, let's break it down for the tour. So this is a part of the four pests campaign in which the original purpose was to practice better hygiene, like, in general, like, to clean up the cities and towns and things by removing pests that carried pestilence and disease and whatever. Um, You know, like, mosquitoes, for instance, were part of this, and flies, and mosquitoes, of course, carry malaria. So, okay, fine. Okay. Right? Like, practical, I guess? Um. And then, you know, rats were part of that, which you're like, okay, you know, rats always get a bad rep um, because of what they are. So. <laughs> and then you get and then you get sparrows. Sparrows huh, begin getting... That's not one that I think of. No. And... What did the sparrows do? Uh, they... Well, um, I, I... Is this in the movie Red Sparrow? Because I never saw I, it. I never saw that either. Maybe? I doubt it. I'm going to say I doubt it on this one. <laughs> I, would, I would be very shocked if that movie took a turn to talk about this. Um, but <laughs> but I think the real reason was because of, like, they ate grain and they would eat berries and crops and they were getting mad about that. Okay. But there's this, ama- there's this amazing thing I didn't know in which that the Chinese government said about birds. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially they said that birds are public animals of capitalism. So... Huh, that's a thing. So in fact, birds do work for the bourgeoisie. Oh my God. It's coming true. Who is this? Is this what year is this? Like what? Wait, what year is this happening? Like, is this is this Mao? Is yeah, this, yeah, 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 yeah. Is this, this is under Mao Zedong. I should have specified that this is in 1958. Okay, okay. This all starts. Oh wow! Yeah, so holy cow! Yeah, so this is starting in like 1958, and this moves in for a couple years. So essentially, they start this campaign. Like they didn't even go. Like they didn't even go for the thing. Like saying like. The Japanese are sending us these fucking birds. No, no, no. no. Like they, the Japanese won't leave us alone. Nope. It's capitalists. <laughs> capitalists did this. Um, that's the thing. So when I, you know, when 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 researching into this topic, I was like, oh, this has to be like Animal Farm. This has to be like an allegory to something. Um, it's not. This like oh. quite literally happened, and it had real consequences. So under Mao, he goes about by calling it the Smash Sparrows campaign or also known as the Eliminate Sparrows campaign, which is a very scary title, in my opinion. That's very direct. I think, I think you have to appreciate from the very... I'm going to say this as a person that knows next to nothing mm-hmm. about Chinese, the Chinese language except for a couple of words. Yeah. But in the same way that, you know, the Germans refer to a tortoise or a turtle as a shield toad. Oh, yeah. Or a squirrel is, you know, a croissant rat or whatever. 
or a tree croissant, whatever it is. Like, I've heard that the Chinese word for penguin is business goose. Excellent. And that, like, an owl is, like, cathead bird. (laughs) I love this so much. So much is fun. I'm imagining just a very literal... Yeah. naming convention I th- based I on so. based based on nothing please yeah. please don't write me actually do write me i'm 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 fascinated by everything i mean always tweet at us but um yeah but yeah so this is how it kind of starts and it yeah it starts as this campaign i think this is also you know during a time where there's that great the great change happening and they want to rally people together, you know, get that kind of comment. But against the birds? Against the birds, because they work for the capitalists and the bourgeoisie. They're like the they're like the anti Philadelphia. I mean, yeah, literally. So uh the birds. <laughs> um but yeah, so what they start doing is kind of telling people to go after both these birds and these types of animals and insects and collect them. And if you I know at one point it was like, if you collect like rat tails and bring these things in, you know, they'll reward you with certain things. Um, but mostly what people would do is they would bang pots and pans to disturb the the birds when flying. So like if they were trying to land, they couldn't and they would essentially just fall out of the sky dead or uh, people would just shoot them out of the sky in a lot huh. of these cases. And they would also go after um, their eggs and their nests and disturb them and completely just murder you know, innocent birds and whatnot for this, for the sake. And and of course this is happening. Listen to you, you bird apologist, yes. innocent birds. Well, <laughs> what were they doing there? I don't know. They're just birds. They're just in their own natural habitats. I, I, I hate to say that they did anything <laughs> wrong. They were just existing. I mean, yeah, I, oh gosh, I'll get into it. But, um, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting too, because I thought back to when we had our, um, a, a, our exhibit on extinct animals and how it was a similar thing where they would crush, you know, hatchlings and the eggs and different things of other bird species. But this, this is the thing. This is happening for like two or three years outside of the cities. And then eventually it moves in into one in particular being um, in Peking, China. And, you know, you, you see three million in total people take to the streets, soldiers and, and comrades alike, to with pots and pans and guns and whatnot to just completely drive these birds out of the city. Jesus. Yeah, so it's, it's quite literally a rally with the people to get rid of birds, or sparrows in particular, to be specific. Is this because there's so much of a reward to bring it's, in the No, birds? what I think it really is, is one, uniting people against the common enemy again, right? Again, why I keep thinking again, this is an allegory. Again, the common enemy being... A very small bird. Yeah, well, I think the way that they target it, again, it was, it was about hygiene, but also food. You know, if the sparrows right. are targeting grains and whatnot, and I guess they were they eating a lot, a lot of people to feed. It's a they got country. a lot of people to feed, yes, exactly. And so I think the fear was they're eating our grain, and we need to stop it by killing all of them, if not most of them. Mm-hmm. But Mao made a big old mistake about this. Was this, oh, his one mistake? Well, <laughs> <laughs> you see, there's this, there's an ornithologist that comes around in, this, in 1960 named um, So Xin Cheng, who helps change the minds of the Chinese government, including Mao, by pointing out that sparrows, in fact, eat insects as well as grain, and in some cases, more insects than grain. Hmm. And these particular insects, also eat grain. 
And so for what we know, what happens when you remove a natural predator, exactly, when you remove that predator, the other organisms rise up because there's nothing keeping their populations in control. And we see a massive blow up of locusts populations invade the country. Oh, God. And completely decimate their grains and rice fields oh, and God. everything else just destroy everything. Oh my God. What ha- and, and pretty soon after this starts in this 1960, they kind of Mao takes it back and kind of is like, ah, you know, never mind. It's actually bed bugs are the problem, not sparrows. And they immediately kind of change on the decision. And I'm sure it wasn't immediate. Well, but... okay. At least it, okay. I mean, I can get behind killing bed bugs. Yeah, everybody. I mean, bed bugs suck. So it was like, yeah, okay, this ha! is better. He could have led with that, to be fair. But yeah, I mean, as someone that has woken up in a bed once covered in bed bugs, like, oh, yeah. God, yeah. Um, so like actual hell, literally. So it was like, yeah, OK, but the problem is it's a bit too late because their their food supplies are just decimated. And so mm-hmm. this. Yeah, their ecological balance is just completely out of whack because of removing this population of birds. And it just mm-hmm. wreaks havoc over the country. And it kind of leads to the Great Chinese Famine, which begins in 1958 uh, during this kind of start. Really? that That is... I didn't know that that was directly tied to the sparrows. Yeah, it's not like... I don't think it's the lead, lead cause, but it's a major factor. I mean, these drops, the food drops 70%, the crop intake during this period. And of course, you know, when you remove the sparrows, it's you're you're losing your food source because of this and other reasons. So when I first read the statistic, I thought it was like five to 10 million. And and Zan, you know how I am with statistics where I've, of course, in some of my Mm -hmm. works, I count things out and I have to kind of sit with that for a Mm -hmm. while. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't realize it was not 10 million as a max. It was 45. And it was 15 to 45 million people who died of starvation directly tied to both this event and the famine in general. Whoa. Yeah. So what ends up happening is... The the Chinese government reaches out to the Soviet Union to obtain at least 250,000 sparrows to kind of jumpstart their crashed ecosystem and try to bring some order back in. And I mean... Oh, to be a fly on the wall during that conversation. Wait, what what year is this? Is Stalin still alive? I mean, this is in like the 60s, so... I don't... What year did that fucker die? Um, uh, Oh, Stalin died in 53. Okay, so it would have been a little after. Um, okay, yeah. But yeah, so what a weird, like, both conversation and way of getting birds into your country, right? Like, I was just kind of wondering, like, how do they even do that? <laughs> Importing the birds. Yeah, like, are they in, like, are they in cages? Did they have, like, suitcases with them? What's going on here? I want to kind of, I want to know that I mean, story. this is, this is, okay, if, if, if the Great Emu War was the most fern gully thing. Yeah to ever happen i feel like this is almost like this is like w- w- without you know without glossing over the fact that tens of millions yeah. of people died for this i would if, if that hadn't happened if, if this was not real this is like the sequel to the grand budapest hotel like this is like <laughs> like this is like a wes anderson movie a bunch of people in like you know, a bunch of people on trains with like 
you know, old tiny cages filled with birds. Yeah. Lots of, you know, guys with mustaches and, you know, tall collared mm-hmm. military jackets. Well, you know? well, I mean, like, it's kind of in a way similar to Isle of Dogs by, expo- you know, getting rid of the dog population yes. for the cat population, right? Um, except it's yeah. real. Because that's the thing. Like, I. I thought it was fictional. I really thought it was a book or something. Like someone made this <laughs> up as a story. To it does sound like an allegory. Exactly. You're right. It does. Like it. It is so. It sounds so much like Animal Farm. It does. I think that's the. I think that is the crazy thing about history. Is like I've been watching Quinn's Gambit. Oh, how is that? It's pretty good. I will say though, I'm having this thought because, um. With a lot of period stuff, I go back and forth on, you know, do I need this to have been a real story to find it compelling? Right. And what are the types of things that, like, I will excuse if something is real and that it happened and versus... If something was a fictional story, I would be like, oh, my God, that's so obvious. Like, right, right. You know, and I I, and I I have been thinking a lot about that with Queen's Gambit, like just because of. You know, it's enjoyable and interesting, but there's also like things that happen that are very like, okay, I (laughs) you feel the writer, you know, you are aware of you are aware of what you are watching is um being written to sound really gritty and real but it is also like this is a little melodramatic right you know? right yeah for sure but when you get into history and you look at real stories like so much of like even european uh like history of like the Habsburgs like when you read about it reads like a soap opera literally though yeah like, uh. yeah there there's like all of this stuff that feels like you would roll your eyes <laughs> if it wasn't you know if it wasn't if you were to watch a movie about this and it wasn't based on a true story yeah, exactly. I mean, that was the thing, like, when when finding out about this story, I was like, oh, it can't be right. Like, there's no way, right? And then you find out it is, yeah. and you have to kind of sit with that. And, of course, there's really, really horrible negative consequences that come out of it, and I don't necessarily want to make light of it. But at the same time, yeah. it's, like, kind of bizarre, right? And it, and oh, it yeah. really does, for me at least, point out... Um, don't mess with birds and just don't kill things. <laughs> Seriously, it's like, don't mess with birds. I don't. I don't understand. Like, I. I, I mean, yeah. It's so clearly like the environment will fight back to a certain extent, and I think it's because mm-hmm. again of human arrogance. We don't necessarily see causality to things, so it's like, oh, this is getting yeah. in the in the way of it. Let's remove the population and we'll deal with it later. And this is what happens. Yeah, I, like, when I was, when I was a freshman and I was in, like, you know, like, my Earth Science 102 class or whatever. Right. You know, and we're, 
basically like the human the human history of just like you know the you know geological societies and army corps of engineers in the united states and stuff it's like it has been trying to rectify these engineering problems that we have yeah. where like this this exists all over the world but just this was the one that came up a lot in class because it is like a nightmare to deal with right but new orleans mm. um where you have these uh you know levees and dams that are meant to control the mississippi river a river that you, you know used to move quite a bit and we've tried to restrict its movements because we've put you know construction on either side of it right but what happened like one thing that like you you think okay we'll put a dam a levee it's going to control the water flow right mm -hmm. problem solution but then nobody thinks that oh well now that only the top of the water is going over <sighs> the levee now none of the silt is passing yeah or, or much less of the silt that would normally be carried by the lower part of the river right um so now like the wetlands that used to rely on all of that dirt flowing out of the mouth of the mississippi river into the gulf of mexico now that is lacking the soil needed and those wetlands are suffering and deteriorating mm. because of the lack of that soil deposit. There are just a million little things like this where, you know, it's you're, you're patching a hole for another one to spring. Exactly. Uh, loose, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, uh, what do they call that? Like short term thinking. I feel like that's not the right term. Yeah. It's, it's myopic. It's, yeah. Um, you know, and you can't necessarily b blame everybody for that because, no, no. you know, science takes time and you need to have made a mistake at some point in order to learn something. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it just feels like the lack of consideration to what's around you, though. But like, I don't yeah, I hesitate to yeah. put blame now, especially with people being very conscious, I think, of the environment and things around us and what we do to it. Only because, you know, maybe that was the case in the 19th century, especially with the industrial boom. But now we're solving problems that were caused then and have to do it, unfortunately, with some smaller ones before we can really understand yeah. the entirety of the problem. Because it's not as simple as like, oh, just like, you know, don't do this and it'll be fine. Or like put a whole, put a, a dam up and we'll be good. No, I think it's it's um it's complicated. Yeah, you, know? you well, I mean, I think that's now why you see so much caution. Like, yeah. There's, um, you know, there's there's people like doing work right now, like trying to find ways that are like, OK, well, we have this type of mosquito that uh, won't spread disease anymore uh -huh. or will produce um, non-fertile offspring, you know, something to like kind of curb right. a pest. Right, right. And there's so much hesitation to release them out because there's an awful track record of releasing one animal to take care of the other. And you have a, yeah. you know, uh, 
she swallowed the spider to catch the fly scenario. Yeah. I mean, like, even going back to Australia, Australia famously had, you know, a, a problem with, you know, these bugs eating their crops. Right. So an American comes in and says, hey, you guys should get cane toads. Because the cane toads will eat the bugs off of your sugar cane. So they bring over the cane toads. The cane toads don't eat the pests and instead, you know, wreak havoc on the local ecosystem. Mm. And it's like Australians will actively try to hit cane toads with their cars. Oh, like, wow. When you walk down the street in Australia, you do see like just deliberately run over cane toads uh, in, in the street. Oh, my God. Yeah, they hate cane toads. And it's like one of those, you know, I, I think kind of like an anti-American sentiment as well because it was an American that suggested it. Yeah, fair enough, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. invasive species do be complicated. I mean, isn't that the thing with like, um, with outdoor cats being an issue for bird populations? Because I remember, yeah, I remember and I know Australia that. has also been toying with the idea of doing a massive cull of feral cats. Oh yeah, and this, I've heard of that. You know, I I understand the cat lovers, uh, you know, dismay at that, but that is something that probably realistically has to be done because, yeah, you know, they're. I feel like we're going to have to see that in our lifetime, just. You know, I mean, I mean, there's already so many projects right now to even if we can't capture and take care of every feral cat, there's enough projects that are basically like catch and release, catch the cats, spay and neuter them and then, you know, let them live out the rest of their life. But, you know, try to keep the population down and possibly try to, you know, just limits mm-hmm. limit the impact but you know there is a there's a very real possibility we're going to see you know a massive cull yeah of some of these feral animals as we try to mm-hmm. you know rectify the environmental damage that's been done yeah um i mean yeah that is the consequence of human interact or human intervention i guess and how that goes, I don't know, maybe I've just been in my post-humanist head and mindset for too long <laughs> that I have to look at all these outside kind of things. But uh, no, it's 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 frustrating, unfortunately, because it is something yeah. where I say, I don't want to see thousands of cats die. But at the same time, I also don't want to see... Like, because it's not the cat's fault. No, exactly, it's not. It's our fault. It's to introduce yeah. them to the environment. They're not even supposed to be there, but they live there now, so it's like, what are you going to do? But unfortunately, it's like, I don't know, it's just these complicated choices of how to kind of go about things and i can understand both perspectives within that but at the end of the day i kind of look to you know humans to blame in in a lot of these situations and and unfortunately (laughs) it's just like it it only goes so far of course like i can sit here and say like yeah it's our fault of course it's our fault you know we do this pop 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 and it's like yeah fine but it's a matter of doing something about it and learning from the situations mm-hmm. and acting on that and trying to just do better versus like condemning and then leaving it to be because mm-hmm. we can, you know, I think complain about it and just complain about how humans have interrupted and, and, and become a virus literally in on the planet. 
But at the same time, if that's not acted upon or changed, then it doesn't really matter. And we just continue to do that. And so I think if, you know, with, with these with these bird wars, if you will, um, it does mm-hmm. show in a way that, hey, sometimes um, our arrogance really clouds the judgment and birds win. And then, you know, it opens up new possibilities yeah. to both thinking about how to handle problems and how to creatively solve our own mistakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well said. Well, thank you. Well, I, I'd say that those two stories dovetailed pretty well. Yeah, for real. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> oh my gosh. One very tragic and one very cinematic. I guess so. I guess they're, they're both fairly cinematic. Yeah. Maybe we'll get some, you know, movies about those one day. One day. Maybe we'll be back. Maybe we'll be back in the theaters in 2021 if, you know, watching, <laughs> you know, uh, Hugh Jackman oh. in. Oh, yeah, no, they would totally oh, get absolutely. Hugh Jackman for the great emu war. <laughs> well, I, I want this movie to happen now. Hollywood, get on it. No, you know what? No, A24. I want A24 on this. Ooh, A24. Make it fun. Make it different. Make it interesting. Ooh, you know, like, I mean, if A24... Who would you want to see do this? Okay, yeah, I could see A- A24 doing it doing uh, justice for the Great Emu War. Who would you want working on the Sparrows? Ooh. Operation Smashbird or whatever you said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would want... I don't know. I mean, as a company, I feel like I would want to make sure that it's doing justice to the situation in the area. So, of course, filming in on both location and, like, within um chinese actors and actresses and also production teams right because i feel like it's a very matter of of yeah really doing the story justice international company wise mm, maybe maybe sony pictures classic or a24 as well i just really like a24 if, if it hasn't become a24 <laughs> just direct I, I hate to be indie well maybe not i guess direct but produce in this sense director wise yeah. uh I don't know. I have to think about it. Yeah, I, d- I, I mean, dare I say only... Robert Eggers, but I don't know if a um a necessary European based individual is best. Yeah, suited for I mean, like, well, part of me like the Sparrow thing is so weird, yeah. and like I feel like you would need someone to take so much care of like of talking about the complicated political thing. Like, yeah, Ooh. like I'm imagining like. And this isn't necess- this is so far from the thing that he typically does, right. but I'm just I'm just curious because he's been on my mind lately, okay. but like like Ai Weiwei. Uh, mm, mm. like doing a a very stylized piece yeah. about video piece about the uh the the Smash Sparrows campaign. Yeah, I feel like that would be an interesting work of his yeah. to see. I feel like he could handle that in both a politically charged way, but also a very, like, mm, I don't know, yeah. a very memorable way or to mm-hmm. to memorialize it, kind of like what we have kind of going on here. I don't know. Maybe that'll happen. Yeah. Who knows? Or something similar to Maybe. it. Or it goes into a crazy Wes Anderson animation and it's alluding to the story versus representing it entirely. Yeah. Or maybe it's like, or maybe it's like a 
crime thriller, oh. like a Hong Kong film. Or Ooh, something. that would be kind of cool. Yeah. Well, one more producers one day after we're done working as interns. Well, here. yeah, one day we're one day we'll be producers. But here's the thing: I want us to produce Millennial Forest Gump. Oh, okay. Huh. So hear me out. Hear me out. Okay. Forest. Okay. Forest is like, you know, you have to tie him into like all of the events. Like he has to, it's, it, he has to do everything in the early 2000s. Right, right. You know, he has to bumble his way into everything. He gets, you know, but, you know, just like, okay, so old Forrest Gump. Right. You know, the just absolute like uh, lap dance it gives to baby boomers. Just like, you know, it's like. You hear credence. Yeah. You're pulling in on the jungles of Vietnam. Right, right. So picture this. Okay. Forest, you know, going into Iraq and like the black eyed peas are playing. (laughs) Oh my God. I got a feeling that tonight's going to be a good night. Mm. You know? That's a picture. Yeah, that's a picture. So, but, Mm. but, 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 um, you know, instead of investing in Apple, Forrest invests in Amazon yep, nice. or something. Uh, Forrest, like, accidentally gives uh, Elon Musk the idea <laughs> to buy Tesla. Huh. Oh, but but Jenny has to die of coronavirus. Oh. Yeah. That's dark. Yeah. Well, you know, that's... Hey, I mean, that was pretty rough in that one, too. So that is our reality. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, that 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 movie, like, you know, Jenny, Jenny dies of AIDS. Yeah. Oh, that would be the then. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, Do you think he would meet Hannah Montana, a.k.a. Miley Cyrus, as like one of the guest celebrities and then also hang out with Green Day? I feel like that would happen for sure. Yeah, I mean, like. Well, because Forrest never goes to in the in the original Forrest never goes to Woodstock. No, he goes to the March on Washington. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't know. Like, does, is Forrest at Woodstock ninety nine? Maybe, maybe. Uh, I mean, is Forrest? No, Forrest. You know what? Forrest is at the uh, Grammys when uh, Kanye West jumps on stage. Nice. And, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna let you finish. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm curious what will be the as we age gracefully, what will be the romanticized uh versions of these events. Oh, I hope they're not bad, but that's gonna depend so much on the film industry uh, we can only hope we learned the lessons of forrest gump i hope so all i know is i'm looking forward to the new star wars reboot being bird wars (laughs) i mean (laughs) it would it would very possibly be better than a lot of the star wars media that has been coming out hey 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 shout out to the mandalorian for being probably the best show on t on well i guess paid tv right now because 
<laughs> it's been fantastic. Well, anyways. <laughs> well, anyways. The, welcome, welcome to Bird Talk. <laughs> um, uh, yes, this has been a uh, a fun conversation and a yeah. fun glimpse into history. Absolutely. Uh, we want to thank you for stopping by the Uncanny County Museum today. And mm-hmm. we... Uh, yeah, this uh, will be back next time with a new thing to investigate. Ooh, absolutely, absolutely. Yes. If you would like to follow us on Twitter, we are at Uncanny Museum. If you'd like to follow me, uh, I am at Xanasaurus on Instagram. And I'm at Josemino Art on Instagram. Tweeted us with anything that you would like us to talk about or if you have any information to uh, correct us or just add to the stories that we talk about here. We really appreciate you listening. Mm-hmm. If you could, we would really appreciate you leaving a review uh, on whatever uh, pod catcher you might be listening to us on. And yeah, uh, we want to thank you again for stopping by today. Yeah, thank you so much. For the Uncanny County Museum, I've been Zan Peters. And I've been Joe Semino. 